One of my greatest strengths and greatest weaknesses is I am unable to hide how I feel, my emotions. <laughs> and it is like so common that that is the case. And, you know, in person, there'd be times I'd walk into the office like, la, 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 like, good day, like this. You can tell I'm having a good day. And people are like, Savage, yeah. yeah, how's it going? I haven't even said a word. And then also the opposite, where like, if yeah. I'm down on something, some random person who I, you know, don't work with and like say hello to most of the time and whatever, but like, Normally, we're not talking. They'll be like, um, are you okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just I, unable to hide it. I'm this. I'm the same way. I cannot hide my emotions. That's Wear sweet. them on my sleeve, on my face. I'm not even wearing sleeves. I'm just wearing them on my face. Yeah. Well, um, this is all going in. I just want to be clear. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. This is good fodder. No, That's why we're recording. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage, and I'm joined here today by Sylvie LeBeau. Thanks for being here, Sylvie, to teach me about everything podcasting. We're having some fun doing this thing. We're teaching each other. We're teaching each other. We're teaching each other. Yes. I'm learning about SaaS, which I have plenty of because I'm a New York Jew. Let's be real. Uh, But I'm learning about service as a software. Did software as a service. Right? Nice, nice try. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I almost, but you, <laughs> you, we can keep that. We can keep that because that's part of the show too. It's my, just being real. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone being my real. My authentically ditzy self. What else is going on? Do you receive anything in the mail recently? Um, I sure did. I sure did. And let me just back it up for a second. Just FYI. This is this is like I'm very proud of myself. Usually, if I received a package in the mail, I would let it wait for like two days, three days in the pandemic, of course. And then I would like tear it open. Okay? These boxes, well, one box, mm-hmm. one padded envelope, have been sitting in my hallway for like, go three weeks i'm gonna go three weeks and i every day i look at them and i say no sylvie today is not the day but you gotta save it you gotta save it yes you know so you've taken what was quite a process of waiting to open your packages continually for two to three days and turned it into an epic epic wait-a-thon uh until we could actually (laughs) get on the podcast and open up these gifts that i sent you so i think we should open it up let's do it are you excited Are you, I'm, I like excited doesn't even do these emotions justice. Okay. I'm really holding, I'm holding back because I don't want to start talking too, too loud. Okay. okay? Here so we go. let me just get my scissors, cutting, mm, get some of that bag sound in there, some ambi. Love it. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. I feel scared. <laughs> what? what is it? Oh my god. This is a cat with a sweatband on a t-shirt. <laughs> Am I supposed to understand this as a reference? Well, what I will say about that one is uh it turns out there's a $25 minimum on sh- on the free shipping. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you know there's a couple other items I wanted to send over but that cat <laughs> with the sweatband on that t-shirt is just it's a uh, lovely filler. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> They're troll gummies. 
troll gummies. <laughs> you oh know. Oh my god. I just thought you would really enjoy those. We talked about the troll gummies a few episodes ago in the context of walking trails. That's right. Okay, so I'm going to open this bad boy right here. Mmm, green is good. You're going to try each one? (laughs) They're obviously the same. (laughs) They're just gummies. No, they definitely have different flavors. Are you kidding me? Amazing, amazing. Well, clearly you've got me talking too loud. What's got you talking too loud, my friend? Could it be our next guest? Yes, our next guest has me very excited. Natalie Nagel, the CEO of Wildbit. She is a super smart, super thoughtful person, has built Wildbit into a company that's built a ton of different products used by developers. We use some of their products at Wistia. Um, but they've done it in a way that's like really people-centric, giving everybody Friday off every week, 32 hours of work a week. And she's been really transparent about like products that have gone well. And also we talk a little bit about, you know, some of the stuff that they've tried that hasn't worked out what they do then. So it's an awesome interview and excited to jump into it. So let's get Natalie talking too loud. Natalie, welcome to Talking Too Loud. It's so exciting to see you. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. It's nice to see you as well. It's been too long. It's been too long. When was the last time I saw you? Was that at Pitch Fest? I think you FaceTimed me in April. But I FaceTimed you right? in April. That's I met in person, but yes. Yes. Oh, I thought that was I still have to reflect on that FaceTime call because nobody just FaceTimes without warning. People say, Can I FaceTime you? And then they FaceTime you and then I'm like, Chris Savage. I was like, hi. He's yeah. like, hi. And that was really nice. Yeah. Yes, at Pitch Fest, right? Wasn't it your your Pitch Fest? It was. But let's talk more about the FaceTime that I did. Because I really think that was such a nice thing that I did. I, uh, <laughs> I have not stopped thinking about that, honestly, because it was such a thoughtful, where the world is crumbling. Why text? Just FaceTime. Yeah. And that was so great. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I did it because I missed you. And I just like was... I found that like the connection of talking to people and like the text is exactly is like the default texting thing. Like, yeah, we can text all day, but if you do FaceTime, especially someone you haven't talked to in a while, they almost always pick up. You never expect it. There's like no agenda and it's just great. So yeah, that was fun. It was either, I was like, either somebody died or <laughs> everything's great. Yes. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, when somebody who you only text yes. with calls you, you're like, yes. oh my God, somebody died. Right. But I was like, oh, <laughs> And then I was like, hi. And you were like, hi. And I was, it was so nice that we talked about the kids and we talked about <laughs> life and how everybody's doing. And then I get off that call and I went to Chris and I was like, do you know what just FaceTime me? Who? <laughs> to Chris Savage. He's like, why? <laughs> I was like, just to say hi. I love that. And why? it was lovely. Yeah. And I have consistently thought about it because I just thought that was such a nice thing to do. Well, it's fun. I, I feel like I'm doing this like old school thing of calling people also where I've been going on more walks. I don't know if you do that too, but like, just like, you know, without a commute, no commute, no gym, no nothing. Like I've, I don't have time by myself anymore. And so yeah. sometimes I'll just go for a walk and like listen to a podcast or just call somebody and it feels so old school. And then it feels so good. 
It's like, yeah, this is what it was like before, must have been what it was like when you first had a phone, you know? It's just like, I can call you at any moment and you'll pick up because you think it's an emergency because no one calls That's anymore. <laughs> at some point when you call three times, I'm not going to pick up on the phone. Yeah, you can't no. do it too much or it doesn't work. <laughs> but isn't but isn't that the, that's what like, you know, it's like you bake sourdough bread, you call your mom all of a sudden, you're a long lost friend, right? Like you're just checking yeah. off all the COVID boxes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So Natalie, for, for those who don't know, Wildbit is incredible business, independent. You've never raised any money. You've built a ton of different products. You've innovated on how your team works. Like, I believe you still do like no work on Fridays. Is that true? Yep. 32 hour work week. 32 hour work week. Did that early. You've just innovated in so many ways. Can you, can you kind of fill in the listeners who don't, who don't know the Wildbit story a little bit more on who you all are and what you do? Sure. It's a long story because we turned 20 in October. So there's a journey there, right? But I think, you know, to hit on what you specifically talked about, uh, we have a belief that businesses exist, like they were a, cre- a creation, right? Like as humans created this idea of business. And so therefore, in my my view is that they exist to support human beings, like they shouldn't exist in and of themselves. And so for us, that has always meant that we prioritize our decisions around people and those people that are around the business. So that's Chris and I as founders, our employees, our customers and our community, right? And so when we come to a decision point, we try to make sure that we understand like what's the impact on all of the human beings, right? Not just growth at all costs or whatever, you know, all this random stuff. So, you know, in practice, that has been a journey that started with consulting. Um, We've always been remote. We've been remote for 20 years. Uh, The first employee was somebody in Romania and started consulting and then started building products. Our oldest product came out in 2004 and, you know, subscription-based SaaS product in 2004 and just continued that journey of uh, building more products and exploring the opportunity to create a, a successful business that's profitable, that grows at a pace that's sustainable and so that we can hit a 20-year uh, landmark. And also that embraces that kind of this idea that human beings, uh, especially inside the company, really don't want to be placed in boxes. Like just because you became a software developer doesn't mean you want to be a software developer your whole life or that you don't have other interests. And same with founders, like we have multiple products because we enjoy solving problems more than once. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you hear about serial entrepreneurs who like solve a problem, then get bored, drop it, sell it, do whatever, and then go start another one and then drop it and sell and start another one. And it's not because they're bad. It's because they're just like any other human. They don't get to get another job. They have to start another business. So we've looked at it and said, I don't want to start another business. So we instead have designed a, a way in which we can create and have that change of, of pace, change of energy within the company and still do it sustainably for a long, long time. Did you lean into that idea because you had experienced like the opposite? I can't say like we've experienced it, that we've worked in other places, but I can say that within Wild, but you know, we've had products that have become really successful you know, and then we've had ones that haven't, but they needed a lot of energy, right? And so just feeling kind of stuck. And I think a lot of this clarity if in what we want to build and how we want to design, it came from moments of just being exhausted and just burnt out as founders and saying, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore, right? And then realizing like, well, I don't want to do anything else. So like, and I think Chris, you had a, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, you've also had a similar journey that you've shared publicly as well around kind of why try it again if you've done it already and you know it works? And I, I think the, the core for me is a business's success and failure is based on its people, right? I don't, you know, there's 
they're all unique. Every business is unique because every person is unique. And so if I figured out how to bring an incredible team of smart people together and figured out a culture that's working to go and try to do that again for a second time, like who do I think I am that I can pull that off a and B why do it all over again if it already exists. Right. So like my main focus is building a space where we can innovate. And then as long as I have the right people in place and the culture, and we focus all of our energies on nurturing that we can do anything. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I, I think that a lot of times startups ignore the people completely, right? Like it's like, let's go and make this thing and try to make it happen as fast as possible. And, you know, if someone's not working like quickly changing and not trying to like make it a moment of growth. Like it's a about like a company doing something really quickly. But I feel like what you're talking about is really just this investment in understanding that like people are complex beings and get the most out of them and to build something like really incredible with them can take time. But on the flip side, like if you find great people and you can figure out how to like align their growth to the growth of the business, you can do incredible stuff. And I feel like Wildbit consistently does interesting things. I'm thinking right now about the the job board you launched at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So pandemic begins, layoffs are happening, and then you all decide, well, we have <laughs> a job board, we should launch this, which is interesting. Tell me about that. So we have a job board called People First Jobs, and it was a project that had been in the works pre-COVID, uh, planning to launch it in March. And, you know, obviously, we all know what happened to those plans. But uh, we had a lot of internal conversations. You know, I, I have this thing that we say around the office. It's like, I don't want to pollute the internet. And I usually use that to refer to marketing. Like, I don't, I never want anything coming out a while, but to just add to the noise, right? It has to be, you know, really in need to be there. Otherwise, I don't want to put it out there. And when COVID hit, I think we can all remember those inset like horrible, here's our response to COVID emails that we got from every brand we've ever used in our entire lives. And I was like, what is this shit? Like, stop it, right? Like, stop sending those emails. So we were staring at this, these products and it wasn't the only one we were ready to launch. We actually had a bunch of things that were supposed to come out in that like end of Q1, beginning of Q2. And we kind of just internally said, first of all, we're stopping this because the world is in a terrible place and people are so stressed out and overwhelmed and we do not need to add to that like they don't need to read another thing that's not relevant to what we're trying to figure out that is going on in the world but what ended up happening is you know people first jobs the origin of that project was really we are a small company that doesn't hire very often and when we would send out disqualified emails like to candidates we would often hear like, I want to find more companies like you, right? Or I want to know when you're hiring again. And we didn't have anywhere to send them to, not because we're so special, but because we just didn't have this like group of folks that we knew would also be people first in, in different ways that you could be people first. So we had this intention to create a very human focused job board. So when COVID hit and we're like, well, we're not launching that one. A, you're right. People aren't hiring, but B, we're not adding to the noise. We started really reflecting on like, well, can we do something that's meaningful? If we're going to do a launch, what can we do with it? And what we started to realize was there were companies that were still hiring. There were also a lot of layoffs and folks trying to bring together those people and like highlight them. And, and there was, you know, those Google sheets where people were putting in names and, and links to LinkedIn and, and resumes and things like that. And we said, okay, forget charging for it. Forget like the standard thing we were doing. Let's instead use people first jobs as a way to find people first companies and showcase what they're doing and find people who, you know, start collecting these resources into a single place so that people can go and look. So we, we launched people first jobs with profiles of companies, whether they were hiring or not, they're 
current stance on COVID, what they're doing for COVID, right, with remote work resources, with resources on where to find qualified candidates. And so there was no charging for it. It wasn't like a monetization thing. It was like, okay, we built something. And this is what people first companies need right now. And this is what folks who want to work at people first companies need right now. And that's where we're going to focus our energy. And so that's how it launched. And it was really successful. And I'm really proud of it. The team did incredible work on that. Uh, Just shifting focus, starting to collect resources, changing the energy, reaching out to companies that were ready to go, you know, and just helping support them all. Yeah, I I just love that. It's just such a great example of your your values being strong enough to put that out there. And your point being like, well, even if these people aren't hiring right now, like, these are the types of places you would want to work it while you know COVID is happening or in general. And I think it's been it's just really cool to see because it's those are hard decisions to make, right? Like I think launching anything right now is really hard, putting anything new out into the world and trying to decide how to differentiate it, what makes it super interesting or relevant, or can you put stuff out there when there's turmoil? It's a really complicated thing. And it's for us like we basically looked at everything we were doing in marketing. We said, we need to rethink like what our brand means in this context. Like we have to decide like what conversations we have the right to answer um, and which ones we don't. And it meant that a lot of stuff that we wanted to put out there, like happy fun, you know, stuff like didn't make sense. It's just yeah. like, it's awesome that you all did that. So we had a second launch a little bit later of a product that it was in a similar vein, right? Like we had worked really hard to launch uh, a DMARC product with DMARC is like a, you know, a way to protect your brand from spoofing. You add it to your DNS and it's like a, it's a complicated thing. We've had a tool for a while. And we basically said at first, we're like, that's on hold till fall. Like, don't even want to talk about it. You know, that's what are we going to do? Like, and then all of a sudden you, we realized, which we didn't expect, but now it seems obvious that everybody went remote and spoofing went through the roof. And what was happening? Sorry, what is spoofing? Spoofing is when you get an email and it's coming from Chris Savage and he says, hey, Sylvie, I am away from my desk right now, but I need urgent help. Could you please wire some money to this address? It's really important. And yeah, what that happened was- Yeah, that went was, through the roof. <laughs> that actually, yeah, email, well, we, so, a lot of those were sent. No. But, what, but why, right? Because what happened was- as a software company, my team is very used to getting those emails and just ignores them. But you had these traditional office-focused companies that all of a sudden everybody's at home and they're not used to those kind of conversations. They see an email from their boss and they're like, oh, my boss wants my phone number to call. Okay. Or my boss wants yeah. access to this username and password for this thing. Sure. That makes sense. So it worked. And that shot through the roof. So all of a sudden, our team was like, oh, actually... People need DMARC urgently and we have this free tool. So we kept the free tool and just started saying like, just at least use the free DMARC tool. But if you can't, and if you want like all this extra stuff, you can use the pay tool. So we did end up launching it and it was really successful for us. And I'm again, proud of the team's work to look at that and say, it actually makes sense right now because it actually will be helpful. So like, let's leave the free tool, make sure all, you know, people can just use it. Cause at this point I'm like, if you're not, if you don't have DMARC set up, what do you, I don't even know what you're doing. How are you protecting your brand? Because it's so dangerous. And, you know, we just see social engineering, not that this is what we're talking about today, but that is like what took Twitter down, right? I mean, you're not going to get brute force hacked. You're going to get hacked because somebody's going to email somebody and convince them to do something bad. And so like DMARC's the simplest way to some degree to set it up to at least monitor who's pretending to be you so you can, you know, make some adjustments. Yeah. It's really this like insane acceleration, right? Of like every digital online uh, online trend, like it's unreal. But it's funny because we noticed it markedly pretty quickly. People were getting emails (laughs) from from Chris Savage. What were you what was quote unquote Chris Savage telling them to do? 
you know, the classic wiring stuff, uh, but they, they're getting more sophisticated where it's like, that's not the first ask. It's like, hey, can you call me? I have an issue about something. And then they call and the number doesn't work and like all this kind of stuff. And I was talking to a friend who is raising money for a startup. He got a bunch of money committed. And then he was like following up with his investors. And he's like, hey, have you wired the money yet? And they're like, yep, we wired it last week. And he's like, uh... Okay, I didn't get it. And they're like, well, we sent it to the updated instructions. (gasps) He's like, oh my God. And it's, you know, this fund like wired $250,000 to the wrong place. Yeah. He needed DMARC. He needed DMARC. (laughs) Yes. This is (laughs) all advertising. I I didn't know we were going to be just advertising your products, but we are. I didn't know. That was not my point. And then I'll just another example of. it's crazy. Like the Twitter example, I think is a really good one. because It's so public. We can see it. Like all these famous people are hacked because like yeah. social engineering that happened at Twitter. But I have a different friend who told me the story of like their company's just really big. And so there's always people trying to like, you know, convince you that it's a CEO or someone really senior. And they never really get through until like <laughs> there was a team that thought that the CEO was really mad at them. And so they were like, oh, like because like they'd had a meeting where, you know, they were like, a harsh critic or something. And so they all, like everyone on the team fell for it. And it just was like bad luck combined. And so just that like, timing. You know, yeah, oh. just, it's crazy how we can go through to <laughs> do so much to keep our world secure. And then ultimately it's like, you feel bad about something or whatever. And you, you let people in. Yeah, that's why social engineering works. Yeah. We should probably talk about something else. <laughs> no, I think this is pretty interesting. Um, and I didn't even realize you had to launch that product. So, boom. Like, let's tell the DMARCdigest.com. I mean, you need a technical person to set it up. It's, you have to set it up in your DNS. But we're, I, the, the, it's I like, pretty cool, actually. Uh, I like that you're looking what? at me saying that as, like, I'm not technical, obviously. You're like, you, uh, Chris, you're going to need a technical person to do this. I know. Just I know to be who clear, to you're not going to understand this, but somebody else is going to do it. <laughs> well, I'll give you know you know why I say that because every once in a while I, I have to know my audience. We our postmark is like you know our big product, and people Google Poshmark and email our support mm. or call, complaining that like they bought a bag and they think it's fake. I was and literally going to ask if you get Poshmark emails. You don't know how much of it. Like, there's a point where we basically took the phone number down because all we had phone for like sales or support or whatever. And it's consistently Poshmark support. And I just, and our site is yellow. And so, you know, so knowing your audience. Yeah, you got to know the audience. Well, speaking of knowing audiences, I think when you have a lot of products and you have some products that resonate and some don't, it's hard to know what to do. But you all are dealing with something which is really, I found very interesting, which is you publicly announced about a month ago, six weeks ago, that you're going to stop working on your product conveyor. Correct. So can we we talk about that? Because I think like a lot of things don't work when people try them for many different reasons. We don't really talk about like, how do you know that it's not working? Why is it not working? And what do you think you're going to do with it? So where are we with conveyor? So conveyor was a, a, a big project for us. We spent millions of dollars on it, uh, years and years and years of work. And, you know, the, the idea of Conveyor was we were going to take a beanstalk, which is our uh, our oldest existing product, and create the new version of it. And instead of just like skinning it or adding more features and more tabs to the app, we were like, we actually want to reexamine the problem we're trying to solve and reinvent the solution instead of putting a bunch of Band-Aids on it. And uh, set off on this journey of, you know, 
building on a new stack and building with people that we hadn't worked with before and just solving a lot of problems. I think, uh, you know, we spent years on it. We scrapped one version, rebuilt it all over again, really believed in what we were building, but forgot or maybe just thought we were too cool to, to buy into some of the practices and internal policies we knew or, or beliefs that we had always held, but somehow this time we convinced ourselves it's different. And, you know, everybody falls into this trap, right? It's the, you think you're a realist, but in reality, you're just, you know, lying to yourself. And so we ended up just biting off way too much. Like we didn't build something small enough, test it first. We believed in the, I still desperately believe that we need something to change and that we need a, a simpler, more human focused uh, way to build software. But it's just, which we shouldn't have spent five years on it, right? We should have spent like two or a year and a half and then gotten customers to use it and love it and then added stuff over time. Instead, we really looked at it and said, well, we can't build an MVP because it's replacing Beanstalk and Beanstalk is a fully fledged product. So therefore, we have to build a fully fledged product to, to get buy-in. And it just, yeah, it just didn't work out. I mean, you said we don't know what failure is. I mean, I guess to us, customer validation is everything. And so when we launched it, we had tons of positive reception, like people really, you know, famous on the internet were telling us how great of an idea this is and how awesome it is. And then crickets, right? Everybody signs up, plays with it, and then crickets. And you're like, oh, shit, something's not right, right? And so you start, we start working through that. And we, we hit this point where we realized, one, we bit off more than we can chew. And two, five years had gone by from when we sat down to solve a problem and a lot can happen in an industry in that much time. And, you know, we had some good ideas on like how to fix it. And so then we kept digging in, digging in. We stopped working on it when we realized how burnt out my team was. I mean, you talk about people first, we don't do things for no reason, right? So like the reason we had decided to build Beanstalk was because the original team, the, the team that's been with Wild but the longest, 15 years, 12 years, they had originally built Beanstalk. They set off on this journey to build Conveyor. And they set off because at that point we were looking at Beanstalk and saying, it's not fun anymore. Like we don't want to just slap another feature on, right? We don't want to go chase GitHub and like, you know, do like, it's just not, it's not interesting. It's not an area we want to play and we're never going to go up market. So like, what's the point? And so Chris and I said, well, I want to give you guys a chance to reinvent this thing, right? We went all in on them with an idea we really believed in. So when I'm sitting at this conference room, the guys came, came uh, to Philly and I guess it was, December maybe or something like that and there's we sat around and it, they the trip was let's redefine art what's the next what's the next push what are we going to do to try to turn this thing around and we just instead of I totally shocked them instead of say like talking about that I said all right what I want to know is who's happy who's still having fun and we just went around the room and I'm Chris and I had planned this and Mike my Chris uh who's my husband and business partner and so I said you go first because if you tell them that you're not, you're stressed and, and not having fun, they will then open up in a way that's meaningful, right? And so he came out and he was very honest, like, I think the problem we're solving is really important, but it's exhausting getting to a point where you're just not getting that customer validation that we all, you know, really thrive on. And to work in a vacuum is just too much. And I just, I feel like this is too hard and we don't, we didn't build wild but for it to be this hard. And so then they, we went around the room and you know, there was a lot of consensus, right? I mean, people are, what was so cool about conveyors, we, we had a lot of, we had folks have an opportunity to play on with something that they would have never had to had a chance. Like there was a lot of really smart technology and is built extremely well and they got to explore new things. I think that was really important, but 
at the end, like it just was too hard. And so that's what we did. We decided to stop because when I looked around the room and they were all exhausted and I said, what if I told you there's other things you can work on? Right. Cause like nobody's getting fired. So it's what, what, there's other stuff, there's other projects and they were all really excited. And I said, then that's it. That's the answer. And so we just, we called it. Yeah. Well, look, congrats on doing that. I, I think it's so hard to do that. Um, especially when there's like a lot of emotion involved. And I think like, the leadership too of like setting the example and opening opening that conversation that way i think is so important you know of like being willing to really say how you feel and prioritize that because i it's kind of what it reminds me of when you say that is like when people say you should follow your passion but like the reality is like if you are going after your passion and it's not fun you can't or it's not even successful or it's not giving it's you're not getting enough like feedback like it it, it's pretty hard for it to be your passion. And the opposite's also true. Like if you do something and you start to find success, you can, you can have a lot of fun with that. And I'm sure all of those people are like unbelievably loyal to Wildbit and to you and Chris. So they would have kept going, right? Like that was the default state. So it's like kudos for doing that because it's, it's hard. I mean, we're loyal to each other, right? I think there's a, there's definitely, it's very mutual. We talked earlier about building this business where we get to experiment and play, right? And, that means that we have to have a chance to fail because if we're just looking at wins then that's not going to work because then we're not going to either push ourselves hard enough to try new things or we're going to, you know, be really conservative with, with goal set, you know, whatever, right? Like we have to give ourselves a chance and people often say, you know, like, oh, well, you're bootstrapped and profitable. So you're not going to take risk. And I, I took a $3 million risk and did just fine. Thank you. You know, and like, that's okay. And so like it, you got to change the narrative a little bit, but we learned a ton. We worked with some amazing teams who were testing it early on that we're very grateful for. And, you know, and we just kind of move on. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's going to be something too in like two, three years that you're, that Wildbit will be doing. That's going to be wildly successful and it'll be part, like some kernel of it will have come from conveyor. Totally. I mean, that's been our experience at Wistia. There's so many, and I agree with you thousand percent. There's so many things we've done that have failed. And that's a good sign that we're trying stuff. It, and what's a true failure is to have a failure that you don't actually address, right? Like that you like let live on. Um, but I can't tell you how many things we've done that didn't work that later, you know, we would launch some feature and get no response to it. And then we'd remake it or we'd kill it and we'd kill some other feature at the same time. It suddenly makes the product better. I mean, there's been so many times that that happens when you're making the decision to stop the thing. You don't know yet what valuable thing is coming out of it, which makes it does make it hard. Yeah, but it was all wins, right? Because that directly translated into people first jobs in DMARC. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the magic, right? Is that those folks, we had instant projects that we had been desperate to work on. And, you know, there's no shortage of ideas, unfortunately, at Wild, but sometimes I wish we would slow down. But they, you know, it was an immediate, and my goal was at that point, they had been working on something for so long. It was critical that we had things that could have ends, right? Things that could get launched. So we, they weren't these never ending projects. And I didn't want them to just jump into Postmark, all of them, because that's a big project, right? Like it's a, it's a product that just evolves. It doesn't like ship, you know? And so three months I had PFJ done or people first jobs done and DMARC done three months. Right. That's awesome. And they had been working on something for five years. Yeah. So that was just my morale boost. Right. And, and, and for them, you know, when you have folks who really committed, they were starting to feel really burned out on just not contributing to, I was air quoting, not contributing to wild, but in the way that they thought they could contribute. Right. Like they weren't revenue producing. They're working on a revenue producing product. They were, you know, 
getting paid salary and profit sharing and all these things. And there was just an emotional toll on that. So to be able to ship something that instantly value add to the company and to the world, it, it, it just changed, you know, changed morale, changed everybody's energy. Yeah, that's awesome. And so what are you doing with Conveyor? Did you, are you shutting it down? Are you selling it? What, what, are you, what is the final, do you know yet what you're going to do? I think we're not, we're not quite at the decision mark yet. Uh, we, we, we processed a lot of things like, do we sell it? Um, there's not really a lot to sell. So it's more, you know, if somebody wanted to take on the project and, and work on it, these things cost money to, to, to wrap up too, right? And they cost money to wrap up in time and energy. And there's a part that Chris and I reflect on the two of us, like, is it even worth it? You know, and we had a product called Newsberry in the really early days that was making lots of money that we totally shut down and didn't sell. And people used to always think that's crazy. And I said, if I do the math and like by the time I sell it, pay taxes on it, the time it cost me to do the work is just not worth it, right? I mean, I have all these other products and projects. So I'm not sure, honestly. We've talked about creative ways to do something with it, but we might just sunset it in September. And to your point, just kind of let it sit there for a while and see what we want to do with it. Cool. Well, look, other than other than DMARC and other than the job boards, like what what has you talking to? Well, uh, I think I'm really frustrated with the way in which we are defining work and how instead of redefining what work is, we're trying to like shove the old ways of doing things into new, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm speaking of remote work, right? I see all of these corporate environments and even non-corporate environments like office environments trying to be like plugged into remote and just recreate the same stuff that they were doing in the office and if to me like there's so much about work it's so broken to begin with remote included that to just continually try to do the same stuff over and over again feels so dumb I have a lot of friends who work in corporate like just lawyers and, and things like that. And they're always like, what's your you know, PTO policy? Or are you tracking people's hours? Do you use that app thing that like logs yeah. in every couple minutes? Yeah. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, no, actually, you know, we do, we do this magical thing where we like tell people what the goal is and we support them in accomplishing that. And then we just measure performance by like whether we did the thing that we said we were going to do. And then we communicate often and frequently and that's it. They're like, what? You know, and so I, that's the kind of stuff that like that gets me so worked up because there's just this, there's a, a bigger philosophical discussion of like, what's the purpose of work, right? And why do we look at it this way, right? Because, well, you have to get the most out of your people and make them super productive so the business can do well. Well, what, who benefits from the business doing well, right? And what is well, right? And it, it just... We have this chance because the you know the world is so different right now. All these nicer words to really make big change, right? If if we're forced into this transformational changes, right, like these changes that we thought were going to take a lot longer, and we're just being shoved down our throats, then maybe let's stop and say, all right, well, how do we want this to end, or how do we want this to begin, right? The new whatever new normal is what we're calling it now, and it's it's like a reflection we're doing at home with even our kids, right? I'm looking at it and saying, all right, in five years, in ten years. I get to reflect on these two insane years that we're going to have right around this global pandemic. I'm not traveling, which is what we always do. I'm not you know, doing all these things I used to do. I get to reflect on it and say, did I maximize that time? Right? Did I use it in a way that was meaningful? Or did I let fear or anxiety or old habits squander it? And I'm doing this micro scale with my family. And then I'm looking at work, uh, these companies who are like, I don't know if my people are working. I'm like, why? Because you, don't, you didn't know that they were working just because they sat in their cubicle. <laughs> like that wasn't work, right? They were checking Facebook until you walked behind them and then they switched to a new tab. Like you, 
these aren't things we want to continue and we just keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over again and I just can't. You're, you're right. There's a lot of just like trying to replicate exactly what was there before. And I, you know, why, I think that's why we're hearing a lot about Zoom fatigue, right? Like everyone's like, yes. I can't be in Zoom meetings all day. And it's like, turns out remote work in Zoom meetings all day is horrible. It doesn't work. The way I've thought about it is like, this is making an enormous change. And everyone can see that obviously, everyone who's fortunate enough to have a job right now and is working in a place where they're working remotely can see that all the work is getting done. And so you can't put that back in. Like you can't, like Wistia would never have flipped a switch to go fully remote, right? But now we've been fully remote for five months. And those parts of it are going super amazing for us that we'll keep forever. Like we'll, like we already had flexible working. It's going to be even more flexible. And I think like that's important for us, but it's also like for anyone looking for a job in the future, like, you know, they're going to look for places that are people first, right? Like they're going to look for places where they know that there's flexible working because why would you have to be tied down to one city? Like it doesn't make sense really. Well, and I think you kind of want to extend it past the technology industry, right? Because like, I think we're, we're already so, so flexible and comfortable with change, right? We can innovate all day long. And I'm not worried that like software companies are going to figure out how to do the remote thing. Well, I'm, I'm super stressed out about traditional companies and how they're going to break people, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're, this is just not healthy. And to your point about Zoom fatigue, well, there's meeting fatigue, right? Just because you're sitting in a meeting, staring at each other for six hours out of your eight hour day does not make that you weren't productive to begin with. And I think there's just a, there's just opportunity, right? I'm like, I get Harvard Business Review and they're talking about remote work, right? And they're smart, but that shows how, uh, mainstream it's become, right? How important it is, how it's transcended this, you know, the software industry and all these things. I just don't see them talking about fundamentally shifting work. Like what is it designed to do? Right. I, I just don't, I don't know. I talk a lot about that. Yeah, apparently you do. <laughs> you seem very, very passionate. I'm like emphatically nodding the entire time. I'm like, what is work though? What, oh, what is, is work? No, I'm saying I, I'm, you're speaking to me. And our dream, audience. You're I mean, my dream is like that eventually we can put this past knowledge work, right? Like there is just, there's so much more, you know, you see like the essential workers and like all these things that we're asking them to do and the lack of respect that a lot of those industries have. And then we in the software industry, you know, complain about like st stupid stuff in, in, in our, you know, remote environments. Now we have this competitions remote versus office. And now you have all these like, you know, internet brain saying, oh, office is better and remote is better, you know, and I'm like, stop it. Like, that's not even relevant. What matters is like how we define the purpose of work. And so Chris, when you say, you know, you want to bring that culture, you guys have this culture of video and being together and collective and like that should be nurtured. There's nothing like I, I'm not like a remote or nothing person at all. Like, I think I, I would love to be in the office with my team, actually. But having that that awareness that there's purposes for being in the offices and there's purposes for being away is is much more meaningful. Yeah, it's just everything has to be more purposeful. It's like the office, when, when you're having meetings or not, how to avoid Zoom fatigue, where people live, like changing how we work, like it is that opportunity. And I think if we don't take it, we're missing, you know, the huge reset button. It's sitting right there. Like, and you, this is the, this is the chance to hit it. And you don't often get to hit that reset. And when you do, there's like potential for so many new things, which is super awesome. And like a better world, right? Yeah. Like maybe we can, maybe we, with this, we can change this mentality. My dad's like this, you know, everybody's like a, there's like a, you feel accomplished because you work too much, right? And the office 
permeated that, I think, a little bit, right? You wanted to be there the last person, first person in, last person. Like, we could change that. We could define work as just getting done what you have to get done. And it doesn't matter if you do it in 20 hours a week. Imagine that, right? <laughs> like, we can do that. I just don't think there's enough courage right now to make that happen. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful that, like, what's actually happening is that people are seeing that they're being more efficient and productive at home and the places where they are being like hyper tracked and that like that does open the door to the future of where you evaluating where you want to work in the future. Cause I, I think the longer that we're in this pandemic, the more this is the new normal and we see industries that are still doing well through this. And you know, those places need to keep hiring. I think that there will be a shift. It's just a question of like, how long does it, how long does it take? But look, I mean, I know we talked about Zoom being uh, not very, very energizing Zoom fatigue, but this conversation has me very excited. It has me talking very loud. And Natalie, it just is so great to so great to see you and to to hear about everything that Wildbit's doing and, and your take on the world. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This was fun. That was fun. That was great. You guys yeah. clearly you go way back. But I don't think I know how you met. Yeah, we met probably eight years ago. And Wistia was much smaller. Wildbo was much smaller. Um, and we had some friends running a few other companies that were all about a similar size. And one of, one of my friends, Paul Farnell, who ran a company called Litmus, he had this idea to organize just founder retreats of like a small group of founders to get together in a different location than usual. The first one was on Chatham on Cape Cod. And actually, we called it the Chatham House group because <laughs> there's this thing called Chatham House Rules. Have you ever heard of that? No. So it's basically when you have, a conver- you have a conversation with people and you share details about like, in this case, how your business is doing, like confidential stuff with each other. And the Chatham House Rule is that everyone who's there will be willing to be open and share like the truth of what's going on. And you can have takeaways from the meeting. Like you can take stuff out that you've learned, but you can't have anything that's identifiable back to anybody. So Chatham House rules is like you have a safe space to have a conversation and then you can take the learnings back, but like devoid of specific companies or specific people or whatever. And it was this thing it's we like did. the that- entrepreneurial version of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't have Chatham thought about House like, rules. Yeah. Yeah, I guess kind of, but it was really cool. And the companies that all did it were, we all learned a lot from each other because it was in that tenuous moment of, in most cases, like going from like, you know, eight people to 15 people or 20 people to 30 people where it felt like if you got one higher wrong, uh, the company was going to massively fail. And so we all just shared lots of learnings. And so I met Natalie in that environment where there's like very, I didn't know her before that, but she and her husband, Chris, like her co-founder came to it. Brent and I went to it and we all came and like really got to know each other very well. And of course, know all the things that were like really not working about each other's businesses, which was a cool way to start a friendship. Okay. That's actually very sweet. And I want to revise my earlier statement. It's not like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like I went for the joke and you were going for like the real earnest, sincere take on this. And and I appreciate that. And sometimes in podcasting, as we're learning, we miss each other's cues. <laughs> and we admit that on the show. We do. But we that's, keep, yes, we keep it meta. That's awesome. And and 
I like that at the end, speaking of keeping it meta, she went meta. She went meta. She was like, what is work? And I was like, yo, what is work? Yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah. It's almost become a theme of the show at this point, right? Like we've talked to Michelle. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, we've talked to Nick. Uh, now we've talked to Natalie. We've talked a lot about how Wistia runs and that we have all these other priorities beyond just profit, right? Like we care about the team and our community and our customer experience. And all everyone is kind of talking about the same thing in different words, which I find really interesting. But also I think is a sign of, you know, I, I don't think it's as abnormal maybe as it might seem to care. It's just to care about the people you work with and to care about the companies you work with. Like in all, in every one of these cases, everyone's grappling with the real stuff of like, is this, you know, do I feel right morally in the world if I don't do these things? Like it's, it's big, heady questions and it's, and, and it's interesting stuff to talk about. I'm excited to be talking with all these folks and the fact that they're willing to share where they're at. Yeah. And I have to say, like, as a startup newbie, kind of like tech newbie, it is refreshing because there's a stereotype out there. I'm sure you're familiar um, that that doesn't paint sort of corporations in the in in the best light. <laughs> um, and so it's it, for me, it's been interesting to just get a totally different take on what it means to be an entrepreneur and and what it means to do that while caring about people. So I'm glad you're willing to open your mind to this stuff. You know, we're not all horrible corporations, you know, (laughs) evil masterminds trying to take over the world. Some of us actually care about human beings and uh, taking care of customers. And I hope that on the actually, I know, I know that on future episodes of talking to live, we'll be talking to to more people who are trying to build their businesses in different ways. And I'm excited to, to go on that journey. Buckle up. Buckle up, buckle up. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Josh Solarski. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.